Amen. Okay, so the next part of our service is our scripture reading. Um, and the scripture reading is different than what I'm going to be preaching on, but deeply connected. And I, we got snowed out last week, and I said, we just can't skip past Acts 19. We can't. We have to read it. So the scripture reading this morning is Acts 19. And I want you to consider, as Aaron reads Acts 19 in just a moment, he's going to read the whole chapter. It's 41 verses. So just open your ears and your hearts to receive God's beautiful word to you from Acts 19. But consider how this might be relevant to us in modern day Salem today. So would you hear now the reading of God's word, Acts 19. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. And he entered the synagogue, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house, naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades, and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. 
And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. All right, so name this place. Give you a few things here. A place that was at one time a major port that received goods from all over the world. A place where people from many different backgrounds came to live. A place where dialogue and debate was encouraged, even around spiritual things. A place where magic arts were practiced in the mainstream. A place where religious icons and merchandise and paraphernalia were sold to help support the economy of the city. What what city does that sound like to you? This is the ancient city of Ephesus that you just had read about in Acts 19. Um, The passage that Aaron just read was the Apostle Paul's first encounter as a missionary going into the city of Ephesus, which is, if you're unsure where Ephesus is, it's in modern-day Turkey. So kind of right the crossroads between Europe and the Middle East, right on the Mediterranean Sea. Ephesus was a major port city at the time, very influential city. Um, in a place where a lot of religious backgrounds were, were brought together, a lot of cultural backgrounds were brought together. And as you read about, in the, as you heard him read, the emphasis on uh, not only worshiping gods, but actually turning the worship of their gods into their economy itself was something that was very important to that city. And so just to summarize in brief, I put this in the Wednesday weekly email, by the way. So you may have already heard some of this, what I'm about to say, if you read that email. Just a good reminder, too, if you'd like to be on that email, uh, make sure we have your email address. It's also helpful to know if we cancel church for snow and things. Um, But it's also helpful for 
things like this that I'm about to summarize that I already put on the Wednesday email. Just a summary of what Acts 19 tells us, which I think is very similar to our modern day context in the city of Salem as well. And that's why I think what we're about to hear could be very relevant for us. Not exactly the same, but very relevant. In the first seven verses of Acts 19, you read about, this was Paul's first encounter in Ephesus, but there were already some believers there. There were some existing believers who were present. Someone had brought the gospel to them, but there was a limited understanding that they had. Like you may have heard him say, they didn't even know who the Holy Spirit was. And so when Paul came, he was able to take them a little bit deeper into their first faith that they had put in in Christ. Then the next three verses, verses eight through 10, uh, you see here that there was some discussion or some arguments that had started to arise about what the gospel was or who Jesus was. And so some people just kind of ran away and said, we're done with this. But a whole other group of people, it said, went into the hall of Tyrannus, which was this lecture hall kind of in the middle of the city. And they said for two years, they came together every day and just talked about the faith. And they went deep into trying to understand what this new way was that Paul was teaching. And they went back and forth. They encouraged curiosity. They encouraged uh, challenging questions. They, they were evangelizing. And it said, by the end of those two years, I think it says in verse 10, let me just correct, get myself here. Yeah, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. That's unbelievable. Two years worth and everybody had heard that lived there about the gospel. Then the next two verses, it gives this amazing evidence of God being at work through the Apostle Paul. Miracles and healings, just amazing things happening through his ministry. And then the next four verses are what I would call the counterattack by the evil in the city. So an amazing blessing was happening through the ministry of Paul. But then those that were not with Paul, particularly evil spirits, began to overtake certain people who were naive about how to use their new spiritual faith. And so they, you said, you, you, I mean, I think Aaron read it perfectly. They, they were overtaken and they, were, they had to run away naked from these evil spirits that had overtaken them, the reality of evil in that city. But then verses 18 to 20 is what I would call a spiritual tipping point in the city where Again, you have evil that's present, but you have this new understanding of the gospel that's present. And then it said there's a whole group of people who had once been practicing the magic arts, who had their books that they had been committed to. And what did they do with them? They said, we have the words of Jesus and the works of the apostles, and we have these magic books. We don't need these magic books. They don't offer us anything that we need anymore. So they brought them to the middle of the city and they burned them in the middle of the city. And they said, away with this. We don't need this. And that's what I would call a spiritual tipping point where a public display of faithfulness and obedience to Jesus above all else was put forth in the city of Ephesus. Great, right? So at that point, the church is gonna take off and things are gonna be beautiful and the church is gonna expand and grow and the city's gonna flourish. If only, right? The next 20 verses, then you get kind of the reaction to the tipping point, which is those who are making the silver idols of the god Artemis, who everybody was worshiping before, began to realize no one's buying our little metal statues anymore. 
all this work that we're doing to build up the economy through the selling of these idols, people are now worshiping Jesus and they're not buying our silver idols anymore. We can't let this happen or the city's gonna fall apart economically. And so a huge debate arises and now there's a tension point. And so they have to count the cost. Is it about our money and our economics or is it about worshiping who we think is true and following the beautiful God that they had been introduced to in Jesus? So all that, I was gonna preach a whole sermon on that last Sunday. Unfortunately, um, I'm not gonna do that today. I'm gonna jump into the book of Ephesians now um, because what Acts 19 does for us is it introduces us to the city of Ephesus. Um, And then in the book of Ephesians, it's Paul's writing to that same group of people, to that first church. He's writing to them years later and encouraging this new church of what I think the theme could be how to love the city where they're living well, even when it's difficult and in a tense environment like this. What does it look like to be a faithful, loving Christian in a city like Ephesus, in a city like Salem? What does it look like to love this city well? So we're gonna use Ephesians as a launching point to teach us as a church here, how do we love the city of Salem? A place that shares many of commonalities with the story we just read, those who practice the magic arts, the presence of evil spirits and dark things, uh, where merchandise is sold that keeps up 40% of the city of Salem's economy just in the month of October. What would it look like if actually a vast majority of people started worshiping Jesus and the economy in Salem started to dip. What would that look like for us? Are we ready to count the cost of the backlash that that would come on us? Similar to how, how Artemis' uh, backlash here to the, the early Christians in, in, in Ephesus. So what does it look like to live, to live and to love a city like this? And when I say love this city, I don't mean accept everything about it being good. So when I say we need to learn to love the city of Salem, I don't mean like we need to accept everything or we need to acquiesce to things um, or to ignore difficulties or bad things. Um, And I also don't mean how do we learn to love this city by meaning like how do we just enjoy the, the cool parts of the city, like the great restaurants and the waterfront and the cool architecture. Like that's not what I mean by how to love this city. Sorry, I'm struggling with our mic here. Stay. I don't know what's happening here. I'll give it one more try. I think I got it, Kevin. Can you hear me good enough? All right, you can hear me good enough. Oh, that's it. Yeah, I need to go that way. Thank you, Kevin. See how, yeah. See, it doesn't take much. It just takes one person to know, move it this far, this way, and it works fine. Right? Um, so when I say love the city, I don't mean the superficial things or just, or even just like you have to accept the hard things here. But what I do mean is you find purpose in living here, knowing why you're here. God called each of you to live, most of you in the city of Salem. For some of us, it means just outside the borders of Salem, but still Salem area. It also means to understand why God has you here, to understand how a church like ours can be a blessing to a place like this, that we're not just here by accident or to like be a refuge or a shelter, but we're actually here to help the, the city flourish, to be a beautiful version of itself. 
And then mostly to learn to love the people of this city in the way that Jesus has loved us, to be used by Jesus to love others. The last two words in the book of Ephesians, which is going to be our Easter Sunday sermon this year, the last two words of the whole book are love incorruptible. That's what our Easter sermon is going to be on. It culminates in this crescendo of love. Love others in the way that God has loved you. So how do we do that? It can be complicated. It's complicated to be a Christian living in Salem. It's complicated for the early church to be a Christian in the city of Ephesus. So let's learn from Paul from Ephesians 1. So printed in your, in your bulletin is Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read it. Um, Ephesians 1 verses 1 through 14. I'm going to give just a few comments today on, um, on spiritual blessing And obviously our time is a little limited, so um, they'll be brief today, but this will be a launching point for the rest of the winter and into the Easter time. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, um, this is where we're going to start today, of how how it looks like to love uh, a city like this. Ephesians 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, everything I'm about to read, verses 3 through 14, I want you to know that in the original language that was written in Greek, this is one continual sentence. There's no periods. This is one, like, huge blowing out that Paul's about to give, all in one breath. All right, so here we go, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who worked all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. So that's how Paul begins writing to that church that we just read about in Ephesus from Acts 19. This is the same people receiving that message. And so what does it look like? to love the city. And so today it's, it's the reality that in Christ, we have been given every spiritual blessing. So to love the city well means to realize the spiritual blessing that has been given to you through faith in Jesus and how that flows out of you to everyone that you're around, every neighbor, every coworker, every person you run into in the grocery store. Your spiritual blessing is to be used as a blessing for others. So that's the first point. The first point is that we are blessed to be a blessing or the church in Ephesus was blessed to be a blessing to the city in Ephesus. Not to be afraid, not to cower in fear, not to huddle in a 
in a private room and not let anybody know that they're Christians, but no, to every blessing that they receive, to let it flow right back out through them to be a blessing to others. And this is the story of the scriptures, right? Every time God blesses a person, he says, now go be a blessing to others. Basically from Abraham on, that's the theme of the Bible. It's you're blessed to be a blessing. You're blessed, it's not just so that you can have a comfortable, you know, well-to-do life and that so you can have all your questions answered and you can have your, your heart feel good personally. Yes, certainly that. But also so that every blessing you receive can be then passed on to others and you can be Jesus to someone else. You can have the, the blessings of Christ flow right through you to others. God includes us, you and I, ordinary, average people. The God of creation uses each of us to do his beautiful work, his spiritual work of blessing communities and cities in his name. We are little pockets of the kingdom of God, taking light and joy and blessing everywhere we go. So here's a key question that I think needs, I think I love this question. I've heard this used in other contexts and other churches. Here's the question for us that's really key. I think that'll help us throughout this whole series. If this church, if First Baptist Church of Salem was not here, would anybody in the city miss it? If this church just faded away into the, into the air and this church, the, the lights turned off and became an abandoned building or they turned it into condos, would this neighborhood, would this city, would they miss it? Would the city be worse off because we weren't here? And if the answer is no, then that means we're not being who we should be. But if the answer is yes, then that means we have a great purpose here. And we have a great motivation to be a beautiful witness in this place. If yes, then that means the city wants us to be here. The city would want us to stay. That even if they don't agree with our theology right away, that they would miss the blessing and the love that we're able to give out. That they would want us to sustain and to remain and to minister here. And that they know that the city would not flourish if we weren't here. But that needs to challenge us, right? Like if we, if we think the city would answer otherwise, or they, or they wouldn't even know if we stopped ministering one day, then that means we're probably not extending ourselves in love in the way that Jesus would have. So you see here that Paul says in verse one, he says to the saints in Ephesus who are faithful in Christ Jesus. That's the call. The call is for the church to be faithful. And if the church is faithful, that means it'll be a blessing and that it'll have a meaningful place in every community, in every neighborhood, in every city. And we want that to be the case for us here. So just shortly here, let's just go through a couple of the spiritual blessings that were promised in Ephesians 1. Spiritual blessings that we're given that are also then to flow out through us to the city around us as they watch us. The first spiritual blessing is a brand new identity. We have been blessed in Christ with a new identity, an identity that can be given only through Jesus, an identity that can be found only in him, an identity that defines not only who you are, but also whose you are. So if think about how would you identify yourself today 
is the first thing that comes to your mind, you know, your family of origin or your career or the type of house you have or the, the brand of car that you drive or the, the fun activities that you do or the hobbies that you do, is that what you find your identity in? Those are the things that press in on us from every angle as, as normal, flawed human people. But what, what Ephesians gets us through right in these first 14 verses is that everything we are is to be found in Christ. I invite you at some point this week to just take a look at Ephesians 1 and see how many times the phrase in Christ is used. It's throughout. I mean, it's, it's at least a dozen in these first couple of verses. Everything is in him, in Christ, in Jesus, in the beloved. All of our identity is to be found in him. That when we put our faith in him, nothing else ultimately matters other than being defined and identified as his, being a child of God, being a beloved child of God. And therefore, other circumstances can come, the winds may blow, floodwaters may come, but we are still kept in Jesus. Our soul is kept with him. But it also means knowing whose you are, not only how you define yourself, but also knowing that that you belong to God, that you are now, you're not captive to the world anymore. You're not held to the same allures or standards that the rest of the world is giving you, but you're kept in Christ. You are beloved. So that's the first thing. Our identity is a blessing. And think about how if you were so confident in your identity being in Christ, how that just naturally comes out to others around you. The second spiritual blessing, I think I have four spiritual blessings. The second one here is what I would define as freedom, the spiritual blessing of being set free from what enslaves those who are not in Christ. And so the the passage here in verse seven uses the word redemption, which literally means to be bought out of slavery. You've been bought out of slavery into freedom. You're like the Egyptians who were enslaved, the Israelites who were enslaved in Egypt And now you've been led out into the promised land. You're free in Christ from your sins, from the ways of this broken world. Through his blood shed on the cross, Jesus put his life in exchange for ours. His life for ours was the great exchange that has set us free. Jesus took on the captivity for us so that you could walk free. You don't have to die on the cross. Jesus did for you once and for all. So you're free. That's a blessing. Your sins have been forgiven, it says. They're wiped away forever, thrown away into the depths. They were thrown fully onto the person of Jesus so that when he died, your sins died. They don't define you anymore. They don't identify you anymore. They're gone forever. We get his righteousness. He gets our sins. That's the exchange. That's the gospel. That's the amazing exchange of what the good news is. This is through his grace, the riches of his grace, it says, that are lavished on us. I love that phrase, his grace is lavished on us. I've used this, this quote before. It's by another pastor in Tennessee, I think, who's retired now. But he says this, he says, God is rich in the currency of grace. And he's a big spender. He's a big spender. He's, he's so rich in grace and he loves to spend all of it on you. He's lavished his grace upon us. It's undeserved favor. Nothing that we did to earn it. It's just given to you freely because he loves you. Because he wanted to buy you back. Because he didn't want you to be enslaved to the broken world anymore. 
Without grace, we are kept in our, in, our, in our sin. We're enslaved to our former ways. But in Christ, we have freedom. It also helps us to begin to understand the world around us. That's verses 9 and 10. He's, he's unveiled the mystery of his will to us. That's part of living freely as well. Like we're not walking around in the dark. We're walking around in the light. We can see what God is doing. So we can see floodwaters coming to the willows and say, I need to help because that's what Jesus would do. I need to do something. I don't know quite what to do, but I know I need to do something or whatever that looks like in your neighborhood. The third spiritual blessing is hope. Verses 11 to 12, because uh, it's a transition point, it says, in him, remember, in Christ, another one of those phrases, in him we have obtained an inheritance, something that we were predestined to according to the purpose of his will. And what is that inheritance? It's the hope of eternity, the hope that life does not just end when you die, but there's an inheritance that's coming for you. The hope of heaven, that's a blessing. Think about folks that you live around or work with that you can just see in their eyes and in their actions and in their lives, the way they live, that they're just putting all their chips into this life and saying, my best life now. I'm gonna live the best, happiest life now because I don't know what's coming next. So I might as well live this life for myself now. But the blessing of knowing Jesus is to know that the hope of the inheritance is better than anything you can have now. Any happiness or riches you have now will only be quadrupled on an infinite scale with the hope of heaven. And that hope isn't just for tomorrow, it's for today too. Think about like when you have hope for tomorrow, how that gives you joy for the present day as well, and assurance for today as well. And the last spiritual blessing I know these are quick and brief, but um, the last spiritual blessing is verses 13 and 14. And I would say it's, it's the gift of assurance, the blessing of, of knowing that this life has meaning. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit in your life. Remember the very beginning of what Aaron read? The first couple of verses, these existing believers that were already in Ephesus, they, they believed in Jesus. Hooray, they told us the good news. We're Christians. And Paul's like, do you have the Holy Spirit? They're like, who? He's like, oh, wait till you get this. And he prays on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. And they're thinking about how their lives were changed at that moment. The assurance that knowing that God was living in them, empowering their day by day from that moment forward. So they could be courageous, they could be bold, they could be confident, they could be assured. That's the same Holy Spirit you and I have through faith in Jesus is that assurance for today and for tomorrow. And again, think about how many times, I mean, even as Christians, right, we, we get hesitant and timid about our days. We, we get worried about things and afraid. But think about those around you who don't have the assurance of what all this stuff in life means. So let the Holy Spirit flow through you to others to be a blessing to all those around you. So that's the encouragement today is to love this city people in it out of the overflow of the spiritual blessings that we've been given in the person of Jesus who came for you to save you out of the lavish riches of his grace that he's poured out on you. All this is another phrase that we haven't mentioned yet. All this is to the praise of his glory. There's a whole surrounding symphony in this section about the praise of his glory that our lives are to be lived 
in praise of him who's given us all things in Christ, the praise of his glory, which is why we stand up and sing week after week, which is why we have joy that is unspeakable even when hard things happen. That's because of the praise that flows through our, through our veins, that, that, that comes off our lips. Even when we shouldn't praise, like we have this unspeakable joy. As one theologian says, the church's mission which is what we're talking about, essentially, loving the city. The church's mission began as a radioactive fallout from an explosion of joy. Joy to the praise of his glory. All right, so we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a moment. But let me, I'm gonna share this little story with you to transition us to the Lord's table. And um, this is meant to be a little bit of a, of, a, of a provocative story. So you'll get offended probably at some point in me sharing this story. Someone will get offended at some point, probably all of you at some point. So just brace yourself. Um, so I'm gonna share this little story, but it's meant to prick us a little bit in preparation for the rest of the sermon series and then approaching the Lord's table. But it's the story about a pit. It says this, it says, a man was walking in a field one day and fell into a pit. It was a deep pit and he could not get out. So the man sat down in the dirt to see what would happen at the bottom of the pit. All of a sudden, a realist came by and happened to be walking by and looking down at the man in the pit, he said, that's some pit. But he kept on walking. An optimist came by and said to the man in the hole, well, it could be worse, at least it's not raining. And then he kept walking. A little later, a pragmatist walked by and said out loud to no one in particular, someone should have put a fence around this pit, but he kept walking too. On discovering what had happened, a philosopher was so concerned that he went back to his study and began writing a two-volume work entitled Pits and the Human Condition. That gets me a little bit. A sociologist was so taken by the plight of the man that he conducted a survey to discover how many others had fallen into similar pits. A politician was so moved with compassion, he went back to Washington and formed a task force to study pits. A lawyer tossed his professional card to the man in the pit saying, your situation is obviously a case of criminal negligence. Call me and we will sue the owner of this pit for not erecting warning signs. A doctor tossed in a bottle of medication saying simply, take two tablets and call me in the morning. A psychologist walking by paused and sat down on the edge of the pit, put his chin in his hand and with his most empathetic voice said, tell me how you feel about being in the pit. A Muslim said sternly to the man in the pit, submit to the will of Allah. A Hindu walking by to the man in the hole said, your pit is an illusion. A little later, a Buddhist stood over the pit long enough to explain to the man that his real problem was not the pit, but his desire to get out of the pit. If you cease your desire to get out, you will cease from suffering and you'll experience nirvana. But he kept walking too. This is where it starts to get a little personal for us now. A Presbyterian walked by and explained to the man in the pit that he was predestined to be there. A Methodist told him that it was because of his own free will that he fell in. An evangelical threw a tract to the man in the pit and said, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. A charismatic came in with some recorded praise music and told him, praise the Lord anyway. Here, here it's going to sting a little bit. A Baptist came in and organized a committee to help figure out how to solve it. 
But they all kept walking, leaving the man alone in his hole. Finally, Jesus came by, seeing the man in the pit. He was moved with compassion, went down into the pit and pulled him out. Amen. Amen. That's what that's what we're to do. We're to be like Jesus. Love the city, love our neighbors like Jesus loves us. So as we approach the Lord's table, we're going to take a breath. And this is our monthly invitation to come to Jesus. That for those who who want to have the faith that Jesus has, who wants a life of spiritual blessing that we just mentioned from Ephesians 1, this is your chance to, to come to God now and say, God, I want, to be, I want to be like you. I want to receive what you have for me. I want to have the spiritual blessing. And if that's you, if that's you 30 years ago and you still believe that, or if that's you right now and you're praying that to God right now, then this table is open to you. And we'll pass around the elements, the cracker and the juice, and we'll invite you to hold it in your hand while we sing our last worship song and then take it together as a, as a family of believers at the end of the service. However, we do ask that if you're, if you're not a, a, a genuine, you know, 100%, like I know what I'm choosing to believe in today. If you're still questioning or curious or have more doubts that you want to work through, we just ask you to, to stay in that place uh, and not take this meal um, haphazardly or without prior thought um, because the scriptures do warn of taking this meal in an unworthy manner. So we just want you to have the space to make that decision on your own time. Um, but this is a family meal that we invite you into if you put your faith in Christ now. Um, and use this as a chance also to just contemplate your sin and, um, and just get to give thanks for God for what he's done for you, his once and for all sacrifice for you on the cross. So Aiden and Sydney are going to lead us in a song of worship. Um, again, hold on to the elements as, you, um, as it passes through, and we'll take them together at the conclusion of this song.